0: Why did you fire Director
1: Comey? Because he wasn't doing a good job, very simply. I think the president took this action because he feels the noose tightening in the Russia
0: investigation. The FBI director had lost the public confidence. This president has pushed our country to the edge of a constitutional crisis. Director Comey has shown over the last several months a lot of missteps and mistakes. Boy oh boy, there
2: is so much smoke here, and we'll still have to determine how big the fire is.
1: Welcome. I'm Ron Suskind, joined as always by Heather Cox Richardson, historian and buddy.
0: Hi, Ron. How are you?
1: It great. And this week we're joined by Rick Perlstein, historian, journalist, his most recent book, The Invisible Bridge, The Fall of Nixon, and The Rise of Reagan. Welcome.
2: An honor and a pleasure.
1: So, we are sitting on the fault line of history. I think we could say that we are in the post-Comey firing era. Uh, On Tuesday afternoon, President Trump fired FBI Director James Comey, the man investigating whether the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government in the 2016 presidential election. Heather, what's your take? What are you feeling this week?
0: Well, two things. The first is shock that we are sitting on or experiencing Uh, what is probably the second biggest uh, crisis in America, in American politics, American history. I mean, there's the Civil War and then there is this, the undermining of our constitutional norms in this administration is just absolutely astonishing and horrifying. And yet, uh, the other side of that is a sense of extraordinary... Gratitude, I think, that I am living through this crisis and watching Americans stand up and take their country back. So there's this weird duality of, oh, my Lord, look at what's happening. And, oh, wow, look at what's happening.
1: Rick, um, you have lived digging deep into history, some of it quite pertinent to this moment. Uh, When Comey was fired, what were you thinking?
2: I just found myself most shocked, I think. Not that Donald Trump would do this and say this and that, the you know, they would be so incompetent in doing this and saying this, but that the Republican firmament would be so nearly unanimous in just sticking to the talking points. Yeah. What would it take to get the Republicans in Washington to understand that something is wrong and that they should be calling out these breaking of norms. Well, you know,
1: let's jump back to Nixon, though, for a minute. I mean, look, there's no doubt, Rick, you've got all manner of acuity here, having studied the great Saturday night massacre moment during the Nixon administration. Lay out that night, that Saturday night, the lead up to October of 1973 and what happened that weekend.
2: Basically, what's happening is uh, there are investigations in all sorts of tracks. There's a Senate investigation, but there's also an investigation by uh, an independent prosecutor, uh, a very distinguished lawyer uh, named Archibald Cox, and he's basically developing thousands of pages of reconstructions and evidence and data and interviews. Very recently, before that, it was revealed that you know Nixon had been taping everything. And immediately, everyone's trying to get their get a hold of uh, these tapes or at least the transcripts, of the tapes. And Richard Nixon, to make a long story short, is basically uh, refusing. And Archibald Cox is pressing. He's subpoenaing. And uh, Richard Nixon says that he's not uh, that th- these subpoenas don't apply to him as the president. And as Cox is getting closer and closer to this evidence that will be. As Richard Nixon knows, reveal that he's been utterly lying to the American public for months and months and months, and he orders his Attorney General, who's actually his third Attorney General, uh, Elliot Richardson, to fire this guy, Archibald Cox. Now, Elliot Richardson, in order to get to get confirmed as Attorney General, had promised the Senate Judiciary Committee that he would not interfere with any independent investigation of Watergate. And being an honorable man, uh, being forced to disavow his pledge to the Senate, he resigned rather than do so. So what happens is deputy, a gentleman named William Ruckelshaus, also a very kind of honorable, distinguished gentleman, decides he has to resign too. And finally, they go down the chain and there's this funny guy with a weird beard named named Robert Bork, uh, who steps up and follows orders. And he Fires Archibald Cox, and uh, this massive office that had been investigating Richard Nixon was sealed. Uh, No one could get to it. All the evidence that was collected was was basically uh, removed uh, from the public's, or or at least, you know, the people acting on behalf of the public's access. And it was being guarded by armed FBI agents. And this, to people, really looked like a constitutional coup. People began to talk about uh, brown shirts. Uh, Bob Packwood, the Republican senator from Oregon, said that this reminded him of something you would see in Hitler's time. And very soon afterwards, there were, I think, 44 uh, bills of impeachment or bills uh, recommending investigation towards impeachment. One of the things that people, I think, are sort of wondering about today is where is the Elliot Richardson
1: now? Where in the Republican mix is someone who will put country ahead of party who will not lock in to the message discipline that the republicans have enforced quite mightily
2: what we're seeing is almost like a a leninist party discipline you know, people who cannot see any sort of public good outside of the cut and thrust of political competition.
1: Heather, Heather, let's talk about you are an ex- expert on the Republican Party. You have written this extraordinary treatise, your book on the history of the Republicans. When you look at the Republicans of Nixon's era versus the Republicans now, do, do a compare and contrast for me.
0: Well, there's a couple of things going on. The, the Republicans in Nixon's era had, as Rick said, a number of moderates, a number of people that we could, would call Rockefeller Republicans who did believe in the concept of the idea that the government should work for the good of everybody. They didn't like the way the Democrats did it, but they did like the idea of a government that belonged to everyone.
1: Pre-Reagan.
0: Pre-Reagan, yes. The Republicans today, on the other hand, you've got the Republicans in Congress who no longer believe in the American government and believe in a government that should work for everybody. They want to destroy the government. And then you've got, as a president, a man who has no use at all for any Amer- of American norms or the American government and feels no need to have a fig leaf. The very fact that after firing Comey, there would be a, a photo op with the, a Russian political official Sergey Lavrov
1: the foreign minister is
0: such a stunning sort of in your face move
1: how about the idea of what we're seeing now with Trump where Comey is really the agent of the only serious investigation into something which could take down this presidency no doubt about it when you look at what's happening now are we in fact in the kind of constitutional crisis that goes to the bedrock of the notion of a nation ruled by laws and not men. Is oh, that yes, what you Oh, yes, I see? would
0: say absolutely. I would say that's absolutely the case, that that the idea is that we have, in a sense, an imperial presidency, which was also said about Nixon, and um, and the idea that that... The president, as some of his advisors have been saying, you know what he says can't be illegal. That you know he can't do something that is uh, but that okay. is wrong. But of course,
1: Nixon said that too. Keep going.
0: Right. Exactly. Now that was my point. Um, I think we are at it again, and I think it is a crisis because will we will we normalize this the way um, mm-hmm. Paul Ryan has or Mitch McConnell? Will we say, oh yes, it's okay because Comey had in fact made a mistake over the emails, which many people think he did, on both sides of the aisle. So it's OK for the president to get rid of this guy. Is this all right? I think it's a crisis on that front. I think there are a number of crises going on right now. But the interesting thing about this particular moment to me is that it's a galvanizing moment. It's the first real crystallization of weight. You know, we've had women's marches, we've had science marches, we've had all sorts of protest marches against this administration. But this is the first time that you actually have a unique event to rally around that says, Oh, hold on a second, you're taking our government. And the the, the question that I would put to Rick that fascinates me is... I, I, I guess I can see how perhaps the Trump administration did not expect the blowback they got. But did Nixon expect the blowback he got from the Saturday Night Massacre?
2: I think both of them were by that time in uh, such a bunker mentality and had reverted to the, the, the thing that powerful men do under crisis, which is just you know to retreat uh, among people that they feel familiar with and comfortable with, that they had lost their sense of measure. Uh, and he was backed into a corner. I mean, I think that much more than, than Trump, he was just so much more of a shrewd chess player. And really, this this was checkmate. You know, this was the only move he had. It was, it was this or uh, these transcripts coming out that showed him lying to the public. So really, this, it was this or his presidency.
0: Do you think this is checkmate again, then? I mean, is this the moment where Trump says, I'm safer getting rid of this guy than I am daring to t- to see what's going to come out it's
2: it's only checkmate because we had two parties that were willing to act like patriots back in the 1970s it's only checkmate because impeachment is a political process even the 25th amendment is a political process so and that's why we're on the razor's edge between something that resembles a, a government of laws not men and uh, you know authoritarianism i mean everyone's asking me to go back to the 1970s i find myself going back to the Seventeen seventy.
1: Well, here we have Heather,
2: our historian, who can go back
1: to the well, seventeen seventies.
2: Um, a Barbara Jordan's famous speech from nineteen seventy four in the House impeachment committee hearings, and really, what that speech was was a methodical review of what the founders, the authors of the Constitution, said impeachment was supposed to be about. And you know, she quoted James
0: Madison: "Impeachment criteria, James Madison, from the Virginia ratification convention." If the president be connected in any suspicious manner with any person and there be grounds to believe that he will shelter him, he may be impeached. I think
1: a question I have is whether in this era there's even a recognition broadly across society of principle. Do the, the adherents, the loyalists to Trump, uh, uh, in Congress, much less out in the wide country, do they recognize? The violation of principle in this instance, or the, are they at this point saying invisible to me? He's my man, and I'll pay a price for that loyalty, maybe, but I'm sticking with him.
0: Well, you, you, we've argued this one into the ground before you and me. That um, in fact, the, the true loyalists know no one's ever going to reach them, but there's an awful lot of people who voted for the R after his name, and I think they're appalled. But I have a question for it, you. You're listening. You're asking me and and Rick, and we're taking opposite yes, positions. That's right. All right, yes. then. What do you think? Because you've been on both sides of this of this question. Are we going to hell in a handbasket or are we on the verge of a new progressive movement?
1: I firmly believe that right now the thread is unraveling on the issue of rule of law. Uh, the Watergate was a penny any break in. Nixon covers it up. Obviously, Nixon does lots of other things. What you're talking about here is a different category. Many people call this treason consorting in the way this campaign did with a foreign power, a hostile power, many would say, carrying it all the way through into the administration because it does reach into the administration with Flynn and what happened or didn't happen with Flynn. And the question now is what happens next? I mean, if there's not a reaction and there's not a follow-up investigation, where do we end up then?
0: I retain faith in democracy and in the fact that Americans will do the right thing. So if the Democratic senators don't step up and the Republican senators don't step up, how long do you think they're going to stay in office? Do you think that, that Americans are really going to sit around and, and let the place turn into an oligarchy or an or a, a autocracy? I don't think so.
1: Rick, are, are we now in a moment where the question has been called on rule of law and how will the country respond
2: you know, it's so interesting. I uh, had a uh, hour-long discussion with uh, the wonderful Yale University historian uh, Tim Snyder, who's a marvelous historian of the, the bloody 20th century of Europe. And he said to me that he thinks it's no guarantee that we have a congressional election in 2018. And at the time he said it, uh, I thought it was uh, overstated. I probably thought I think it's still overstated. But in the last few weeks and months, I've been thinking about how stalwartly people have been standing up to Trump's tyranny. But uh, I think the challenge now is if we don't have a Senate standing up to him, if we don't have two parties, uh, patriots in both parties standing up to him, what is the institutional firewall? Ron, you're kind of scaring me because you're really laying out the brass tacks very bluntly.
1: It's interesting. We're all coming around to the same idea of what will be the reaction and what will that say about us as a nation? I hear the voice, actually, of the wise man of the Watergate era speaking to us now, because late in his life, Sam Irvin was asked about the legacy of Watergate. And Irvin said something fascinating. He says, well, well, I'll go back to my old friend, Mr. Shakespeare.
0: <laughs>
1: and, and, and... uh." And it's this. You see, sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, bears a precious jewel in its forehead. When we are at our best, we Americans find the jewel. Maybe this will be a time when we look back on us having a chance to find a jewel that defines exactly who we are. Heather Cox Richardson... Thank you for a wonderful discussion with our friend Rick Perlstein. Rick, thank you for joining the show. Anytime. It's wonderful talking to you, buddy. I'm Ron Suskind. Thanks for joining us.